This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksplode, classic G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Volume 1. We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe, Joe Hello, welcome to my fanboy Booksplode, classic G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, Volume 1. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am here with Flanagan, Josh A. <laughs> Codename. I, I had nothing. I really wanted a good one, and I was like, whatever I say is going to be disappointing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still a trainee. I'm working on it. Sergeant Slaughter's, you know, <laughs> he's going to give me, and at the end, we'll come out of it, and he's like, Whoa, that's, oh, that's Fumbles, the new recruit. Rank E1, Fumbles. Chatterbox, Chatterbox. <laughs> so, we're here to discuss this G.I. Joe volume. We'll get to the uh, specifics in a second, but this is the Booksplode that was unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Thank you for being a patron. If you are one, if you're not, please consider it. It's how all these shows stay uh going and it's a going concern and we appreciate everyone who supports the show so spoilers for this nearly 40 year old comic or is it 40 years old 41 oh jesus 41 year old comic so 40 42 if you're listening to the pick of the week show regularly right now you know that josh and i are in a gi joe kick after being in gi joe slumber for many years josh had been reading the issues single issues and we decided let's do a book explode there isn't actually a current printing of this book. What we're talking about is the classic G.I. Joe, Real Milk and Hero Volume 1, which is what IGW put out when they initially got the license many, many years ago. They put out at least 12 volumes of really nice quality, high quality collections of 10 issues apiece. And so we're talking about the first 10 issues of G.I. Joe that are in this first volume. And perhaps a few more after that, depending on how things go. But if you're looking for this volume, it's really not something that's currently in print. You have to find it in a secondary market and... They're quite expensive. I'd be very curious to see if now that they're with Image, if Image will go back and do it. My gut is they won't. They'll do the new issues as collected editions, but not the old ones. That's my guess. It's been done before. Marvel originally started putting out collections. They didn't make the whole run. I have those. I think they made about five or six of them. And then when IDW did it, they put the whole initial Larry Hammer run in collected form. They did the whole thing. Did you buy them again? Did you buy the ones from IDW that you already had from Marvel? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, this is what I'm holding my hand is the IDW Volume 1 here. Right. I have the first 10. I stopped at 10, which takes you through issue 100 for some reason, even though I stopped reading around 110 or 120. I could. I don't know why I stopped <laughs> short of where I should have. I should have at least gotten Volume 11, which ends with the, the massacre from the Piper, but... Mm -hmm. didn't do that for whatever reason now that book is like 100 bucks if you can find it at all so gi joe originally published by marvel comics gi joe number one came out march 82 cover date famously june of 82 or famously among people who know things like this and yeah but the, but it came out in, in march of 82 we were five oh you were i was four i did not buy the first issue i had just turned five actually so. right 
You weren't out there on the newsstand looking for G.I. Joe? No, I, I didn't. I was not. I was, y'all got any of that, Joe? <laughs> no. I mentioned to you earlier off air. I went through the uh, the Toys That Made Us G.I. Joe episode today. Yeah. Just to sort of have a little more context on it. So on it. Netflix, and, in case you're wondering, it's a great yeah. resource. I've avoided all of them altogether because of the simple fact that they have recreations and I, I cannot abide dramatizations of real scenes in the documentary. It drives me insane. Wait, did, had you not watched it before? No, I hadn't. No. Oh, 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 this is exciting. No. I started, I was like, oh, this is one of those documentaries that has a recreation. I hate it. But that said, you know, like I can get past my biases. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But what I, I thought was really interesting is that, so G.I. Joe was in the 60s and 70s, extremely popular toys. They were the first boy dolls, and that's why they were called action figures. At the time, they were trying, they were losing ground to Star Wars. And so we got to do something. They said, we'll come out with our own. And they were big toys. They were like uh, 18-inch figures. Little known fun fact, our old pal Darwin Cook had a massive collection of those original G.I. Joe figures. Like a massive (laughs) collection that he, and I have not seen this with my own eyes. I've only seen photographs, set up an incredible diorama. In his house oh my god up yeah anyway just to get the context of why the comic exists and it yes. is that they were trying to break a rule basically you're only allowed to show animation for a certain amount of time in a kid's cartoon and they said well what if we're advertising a comic book and so by advertising the toys they were advertising the comic book so as they tried to come up with this scenario to put these characters they started a comic book and so it was developed with marvel comics at the same time as the toy line yes. was being developed in fact and i will not do this because it's dumb like you like we saw it but i'll read all the things but in fact at some point somebody i think at marvel said so who are they supposed to fight and and the hasbro yes. people were like just your other toys and and Marvel was like, well, we got to give him somebody. And it was, uh, and they said it like he was nobody. They were like, and then mm-hmm. Marvel editor Archie Goodwin. I was like, the Archie Goodwin? <laughs> you know, but that's maybe from my perspective, the story goes that he just blurted out Cobra. <laughs> and thus it was born. And so they added See, I think, those I think three. people understand that. How, that's how a lot of comic book stuff happens. Oh, it's sure. Somebody goes, what about if we kill him? And that's how yeah. Superman gets killed. It just goes, what do you want to call him? Cobra? <laughs> like, because they couldn't use the Soviet Union. And this is all right. context of the, the Cold War, blah, blah, blah. And so they added those three other characters, Cobra Commander, Cobra Soldier, and Cobra Officer, whatever specifically they're called, a little different. And that's how you end up with bad guys, which uh, is a good move, by the way, is, is having yeah. bad guys. And so they develop all this stuff, and they do, I think, a year's worth of comics or something like that. And then they all hold because uh, Empire Strikes Back had come out. And so then when they're ready to go, they have this backlog of stories and characters that were largely written and created by Larry Hama. He was the one who wrote the little dossiers that are on the back of the toys that tell you who everybody is and sort of infuse life into all those things. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know about you, Connor. We never talked about it, but like I lived by those little dossiers. I loved it. Oh, like sure. having a story that went with those toys was great. I cut them all out. I had a little file of them. The cartoon comes along after that. More people knew about that. Not long after that. 83. But this other stuff existed beforehand, and it's important to note, again, for nerds like us, that this is not related to the cartoons. Uh, It is a different continuity, if you will. The cartoon took a lot of this characterization, but not all of it. And finally, Larry Hama said, all these people are uh, running around with guns and stuff, and in the cartoon, you can't have anybody shoot anybody or anybody get hurt. And what he said was that that is, quote, morally bankrupt. And I believe that as this series progresses, you see how he exercised his belief about violence and shooting Mm -hmm. and killing as opposed to the cartoon. And I will close with just saying, I did not read these when I was young. I read them when I was older, like in my early 20s, because a friend of mine said, have you ever read those? And I was like, no. And he goes, they're amazing. And I read them and they were amazing. But it's been a really long time since I did that. So going back through here, it was pretty much like new, not completely. Yeah. And you're looking at it with 20 years later sensibility. It does take a while to get to amazing. Yeah. I was trying to think and there's just no way to know. But I definitely remember being in my elementary school cafeteria, passing around G.I. Joe issues with my friends. I definitely remember playing with G.I. Joe figures in our classrooms, you know, like when we played blocks, we made little mm-hmm. forts from the G.I. Joe guys. I remember the one kid who somehow managed to find a storm shadow and brought him in. And we all were like a bunch of six or seven year old boys going, ooh, mm-hmm. around the storm, mm-hmm. you know, because they were hard to find back then. So I don't know if I had to hazard a guess, I would say I came on in the 30s, maybe, and then went mm-hmm. back issue hunting. I remember the distinct difficulty in finding the Snake Eyes origin issues, 26 and 27, and even 28 a little bit. 
Hmm. I wasn't a regular reader probably until after that, but I, the G.I. Joe was always around. I, once I started reading, I was a regular reader up until, like I said, around 110 or 120. And then I dropped off. And then when it moved to IDW, I, I started up again. We all did. I remember G.I. Joe number one was the pick of the week after 9-11. We lasted a while there, but not a long, long time. If I had to hazard a guess, I would say, you know, right now we're on issue 303. There's at least 100 issues of G.I. Joe I've never read in that Larry Hama continuity. Mm-hmm. I'd have to guess. No, you're right. This is a totally different thing than cartoons. The cartoons is almost like the kiddie version of the comic, which again was all designed to sell toys. I'm looking at the IDW collection, which has J. Scott Campbell covers. And the mm-hmm. collection of the first issue is a recreation of the first issue of the comic, which is a tank in the background and all the characters running at you. Only the collection has added Snake Eyes because he wasn't on the first issue cover. Right. It's replaced Hawk with Duke, who is not at all in the first collection. No, and uh, we had that discussion, perhaps on the show, perhaps not, where you're like, yes, I swear he show. was in it, and that was Hawk, who... Looks and sounds and acts like Duke. Yeah, he, he's... he's <laughs> He gets promoted at some point, and then Duke shows up, and I think that they well, just it's, didn't it's Hawk, it's the Hawk and General Flag, and then Hawk becomes General Hawk, and Duke takes over Hawk's role, but I, don't, I haven't even gotten to that point yet. Doesn't Flag become Admiral, and then he gets the... No, wait, that is the Flag. <laughs> yes. So anyway, this was fun for me because it's been a long time since I've read them, mm-hmm. gone back and read through these early issues. And what I found most interesting, just to, to dive in, is to see how they're figuring it out on the page. Because, yeah. you know, knowing the continuity so well, knowing the characters so well, seeing the things that don't match up or line up because they're figuring it out. And as Josh and I, you and I discussed, the mythology, the ongoing story of G.I. Joe doesn't really start until issue 10, the mm-hmm. final issue of this collection, Welcome to Springfield. Springfield being, of course, the Cobra Town. Oh, actually, it's called a nice little town like ours. Welcome to Springfield's on the cover. Right. But um, issue nine and eight are, is it nine and eight or two-parters? There's a two-part Russian story, but the re- the rest are all... Six and seven is the Arctic team up with the October Guard. Yes, that's the only two-parter. The rest are all one and done stories. Yes, with slight continuity, but not a ton. There is character continuity for sure. Right. But you don't, it isn't until like 11 or 12... Other than that one October Guard story where it's like the, the next issue starts where the last issue ended, like that becomes the soap opera yeah. quality. It doesn't start yeah. until around that point. Yeah, there's a point where like Larry Hama does his thing. And he actually said this in the doc is that he said, sure, I can do this. Because he, you know, he was just a guy around. There was a lower tier editor around the office. And he did it. And then he's like, what the, what the hell else am I going to do with this? And so, you know, after he sort of did that first chunk of them, and it should be noted, he scripted seven of the first ten. He, right. Well, he wrote fully. The two-parter was a plot by Herb Trimp, who had drawn the issues prior to that, and then Hama scripted it. And then issue nine was written by Stephen Grant, right? who I mostly knew from his comic book resources column. And then I think Hama owns it from there on out. Right. You can tell that it was kind of the Marvel method, right? Where yes. Trimp would draw it, and then Larry Hama would come and script it. We haven't really talked about this, though. Larry Hama, who was most closely associated with G.I. Joe, he was a Vietnam vet. He was there from 69 to 71 he was a firearms and explosive ordnance expert and in the 80s for people who are younger than us maybe not understand how much all the people that were older than us at the time were working through their vietnam issues whether they were in the war or not and we didn't know it at the time either it was like later right. when connor and i look back and go oh all of this <laughs> yeah all the movies all the tv shows everything everything was people who had been in the war or had been protesting the war or had lost someone in the war processing that and so you had things like Marvel Comics producing a book called The Nam, a realistic comic book about Vietnam. And you had this other book called G.I. Joe, which was not set in that time period, but was clearly a way of dealing with it. And then as soon as you get later on, you start dealing with the flashbacks to Vietnam because the characters served in it. Yeah. And so as a kid, that was heavy. I still remember those panels from... And then Larry, didn't Larry Hama draw those issues? You had all this stuff. Larry Hama becomes the figurehead, the guy who runs you know, the whole thing. He brought a sense of... This is going to sound crazy talking about J.J., but reality to it. And look, everything in here is designed to sell toys, vehicles, etc. But the way they talked about the weapons, the way they classified them, the, the uh, acronyms they used to talk about things, all that stuff comes from this guy who Josh said earlier was trying to bring some moral clarity to what was happening. I think that that right there is part of the magic of it, if you will. It is clearly... I mean, it was intended to sell toys. And in like the first chunk of issues of the first year, 10 or whatever, there was no ambiguity about the fact that these are vehicles 
with which to sell toys. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, come on and I'll make something of it. It isn't that. It's that it is the thing. It is a commercial exploitation of Cold War fears and boys' love of war. Right. It is. And then at the same time, you have this writer who somehow managed to weave in his specific experiences and then those of you know people around him and the things that he'd experienced in a way that incongruously, impossibly kind of works. And I can't help but think as you and I, you know, men careening towards the age of 50 are still talking about this and thinking Mm -hmm. about it this much longer. And I can't help but believe that that touch of realism, that little bit of like, wow, the, the technical language here sounds awful real. That that didn't attract and hold a lot of us. If you you know, I you know, I can't speak for everybody, but you know, you and I are interested in history. We're interested in the things that happen. We read books about it. We talk about it. And this had a smattering of that at an age where we were too young to appreciate it, but it was there. And I think that that's very interesting in retrospect. I often have said many times over the years, I fanboy and have been sometimes scoffed at by people younger than us that this is one of the most important comics ever made, and that's because in the eighties. And not Josh, but everyone I knew is, who was reading comics read G.I. Joe and watched G.I. Joe and was brought to comics from that. Or mm-hmm. somehow G.I. Joe was the on-ramp to going to the store every week because, you know, you played the toys, you watched the cartoon. Oh, there's a comic book. I'll read that too. Oh, there's other comic books. I'll read Spider-Man. And suddenly you had someone going every week to the store. That was a very common on-ramp to, in my mm-hmm. friend groups in the 1980s, literally everyone I was friends with read comics back then. That's what I didn't have. I didn't have that. All people at school, people in my neighborhood, people I played baseball with or soccer, every one of my friend group read comics in some way. Most of them went every week, but some just, you know, read old issues. But everyone read them or had them. It was a common thing. Comics, Mad Magazine, and Cracked Magazine. But (laughs) G.I. Joe was one of the most popular things in that time. And that's why it's one of the most important comics, because not only was it, in a way, really subversive. I don't know how he was able to get away with some of the stuff he did in his books, especially later on, but... It was very important to growing the fan base, you know, growing Mm -hmm. the next generation of comic readers. And it's a really, really important book. Now, you know, these first 10 issues aren't that comic, but we're getting there. That's what's interesting. No. Well, that's also interesting, that nascent thing about a person who is actually turned into an auteur comic book writer to this day. He put, Mm -hmm. we read a new issue last week, you know, was able to turn that into like his life's work. And I kept thinking, I was like, God, I hope he had some kind of back end on something. (laughs) Well, at least it's a regular paycheck. I mean, he's had a regular paycheck since '81. And in comics, that's not nothing. That was Jack Kirby's dream: regular paycheck. <laughs> but again, getting back to this collection, so GI Joe is the highly trained special mission force. They're basically like this clandestine special forces unit within the military, and their main objective is to fight Cobra, who are a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world, who run by this lunatic madman, Cobra Commander who is one of the, my favorite characters in all of fiction. Agree. So like I said, what's fun for me reading this, first of all, just reading the stories, was to see how they were figuring it out. Like in the beginning, the characters are speaking really clunky dialogue when they would talk about their equipment. And I'm trying to find one but it's going to be impossible. But they would be like, that's the MOBAT, the mobile on, you know, they would, and they would spell out the whole acronym in the dialogue balloon. It was only towards the very end when they started replacing that with the editor's notes, which became famous in G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. for spelling out all the acronyms so at first it was all in the dialogue and then you watch them figure out now let's just put that in the editor's note <laughs> and then you'd see things like you know they hadn't figured out what exactly snake eyes was all about or who his friends were and so at one point early on snake eyes does something and stalker's like oh why is he doing that and someone else said well he's doing that because of this i said no you should switch those dialogue balloons because stalker would be the one who would know that being his lifelong friend right Right. But they didn't know back then. They were figuring it out. And almost every time Snake Eyes' mask comes off, he either has hair, he doesn't have hair. It was always kind of different. Again, they were making it up as they went along. I didn't remember the detail from it in any way, except for the fact that I knew that every time his mask come off, somebody would, Ugh! you know, like someone was <laughs> disgusted by his right. face under there, which I liked. And I did learn a thing today that I did not know. I'm going to not bring this up anymore, but it was so relevant, is that there was a point where the people making the toys were told they were going to have to raise the price. But they didn't want to. So what they did was they said, well, we'll do one of the characters unpainted. And so Snake Eyes came out completely black, plastic, no painting. And they thought, well, we'll see if people buy that. But we saved some money. And of course, it becomes the most popular character out of the line. by far. People always have just a nefarious plot behind everything that happens. Sometimes it's just happenstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was a sense also pretty quickly that Snake Eyes is the coolest guy here. Even though I think 
in a way, in these first two issues, Scarlet's though. the main character. Okay, there's a couple of things we need to talk about. Yeah. I don't know the best format for this, but Scarlet's very much the main character. And I thought, as I was reading it, and I noticed, I've noticed this in the cartoon too, despite Clutch's best effort at objectifying her, she is just a capable soldier in these books. Yes. Like, she happens to be a woman, but that's it. There is a startling lack of sexual or gendered stereotyping about her or the way that people treat her again except for clutch who who is a problem you know what you sent me the panels before i started reading it and totally is for about the first half of this book Mm -hmm. and then i don't know if they got a note or what but it gets toned way down and then by the end he's not even making those comments anymore yeah he's like the smart ass but like i know what you mean but I, I well, guess in the beginning, it's all like every time she shows up, he's like, you know, he's, right. his eyes pop out of his head, his tongue rolls down. But then by the end, I mean, there's that one mission they go into Europe where she's in a bikini. Yeah. He doesn't say a word about it. Yeah. 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 You're right. It, it's they just, toned it's, it down. Um, they definitely toned it down. They must have gotten a note. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. But, but either way, the, the sort of respect that they had for that character, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I'm noticing the cartoons too, is actually, it's really surprising. She was first wave and, you know, she's kind of the most capable, Snake Eyes is capable in a different way. They didn't figure out the Snake Eyes was cool until about the end of this sort of chunk of issues. Like he was just yeah. another guy. Well, he was the ninja, but they didn't really think about the possibilities of that. And also, similar to Scarlet Stalker, the one the, at the beginning, the one black character is sort of the, the highest ranking soldier after Hawk. Yeah. You have an Asian American who's writing all this. Yeah. And in the aftermath of, you know, in 82, we had not figured out racial identity in politics nearly to the extent that we have now. You know, but you have a guy who fought in Vietnam. I mean, there's a whole lot going on there. And in a way... You know, I don't. I, it's it's really hard to speculate about all of it, but like G.I. Joe is really diverse for the oh, time. Oh, totally, way ahead of its time in terms of every race being represented, yeah. every culture. There's American Indian characters, there's Latino characters, there's Black characters. In the '80s, that was totally, totally unusual. There are stereotypes in there, sure, but you almost can't help that. But I still feel like they were doing their damn best to be respectful in the way that they could at the time. Spirit Iron Knife talks a little like a cartoon Indian. And I say that, you know, is it, but actually, you know what? Actually, is it in this one? I think it's... No, he's not in the first volume at all. No, no, no. But Airborne is. Airborne And is, Airborne yeah. is, I think, Franklin Talltrees. Yes. And someone says to him, you're an Indian. He goes, I am a Native American. And I was like, damn. Yep. Getting ahead of it. I really, like, that really stood out. I actually think that was the very beginning of volume two, but... Okay. I did catch on that because that was not a dialogue that I'd ever saw in the 80s happen anywhere and so i was like whoa shit wow really no very progressive in that sense that's why several years ago there was a gi joe miniseries that i stopped reading because they they started racial swapping the characters i was like you don't need to racial swap characters in gi joe they're all there if you want to have a black character in the story pick one of the many black characters on the team yeah it was ahead of its time in terms of diversity Mm -hmm. but obviously not a panacea or a utopia but it was ahead of its time in terms of what was fairly progressive in 1980 they were trying and and i can't help but think with some of us it made a dent sure so are there any stories in this first volume that stick out at you or anything that stuck out at you while reading it? The Herb Trimp art, I like it a lot. It's very much of its time. Yeah. But I, I think it's very well done. Oh, you know, you know what we should talk about? What? You mentioned this. Every issue is dense as fuck. Yes. It's a very different way of writing comics. You said to me, you're not going to be able to read more than one or two at a time. And it's totally true. It's like exhausting in a good they way. They feel like double-sized issues. Yes. And they're not. And it's not... I don't know. I've said this before, but like, I didn't used to be able to read through a lot of old comics because there was so much junk in there that sometimes it didn't feel like it flowed very well. And now I've got sort of, I feel like I finally learned the ability to sort of appreciate things for what they are and and enjoy the things about them that are inherent to the form. And Mm -hmm. so in this, I was just enjoying them, you know, for Mm -hmm. what they are and not being like, oh, this is so, I'm not comparing it to a modern comic. It is what it is from the time. And there's something interesting about that. Part of the reason why I like watching old films is you can see them figuring the medium out, especially in the- 20s and 30s so here same way like obviously they weren't figuring out comics but they were figuring out gi joe as a, and how to tell mm-hmm. those stories and I, I really enjoyed watching the progression like i said so i'm looking at page 178 in the trade whatever that is and so now in the editor's note is mobat and vamp you know vehicle colon attack multi-purpose for vamp they really like had to stretch to get some of those words uh, every, everything was given an acronym yeah in the earlier issues it would have said hey i'm driving the vamp the vehicle attack multi-purpose then they realize they can make it better if they don't have them say it. I didn't notice. That's a good observation. I like that. I think one of the things as we go through the stories, there is, I know they're for kids' toys, 
but they're much more. You wouldn't see a kid's comic like if something was dedicated like for eight year olds, you wouldn't see mm-hmm. politics to this extent. So the yeah. first issue, we meet the Joes and Cobra, and the the deal is that Cobra Commander has kidnapped a doctor. Scientist. There's always a doctor, professor, or scientist, or somebody like that. Cartoons too. Cobra Commander is obsessed with finding smart people to get them to do things for him. Right, and she has been outspoken about the United States and the military. She's anti-military, anti-war. Right. And so the Joes have to go get her. And of course, because they're soldiers, they're like, well, how are we going to get this peacenik? I don't know if they use right. that term, but, you know, and then, you know, they they get there and, and Cobra Commander's like, see what they think of you? And he's like, yeah, but you're terrorists. I'm going with them. I, I'm paraphrasing everything. Yeah. But still, I was like, this is pretty high level for, again, kids toys. I don't know. I feel like they have more respect for kids. Oh, totally. They weren't being written down to. In the first issue... The Cobra salute is very much a Nazi salute. Yes, it is. And then at one point, oh, right. So in the first issue on Cobra Island, there's also a native village. And to distract the Joes, they go and they massacre the village. Jesus. I was just like, Jesus. You know, look, I'm looking (laughs) at page 25 on the trade and it's, I don't believe it. Cobra wiped out the entire village. Women, kids, everybody. They did it to keep them from helping us. It's our fault. I was like, damn, that's dark. That's the first issue of a book meant to sell toys. Mm-hmm. We were damaged folk back then. We were, yeah. Then we head into that next issue is they're in the Arctic and we meet Quinn, the Eskimo. That's what they called him then. We wouldn't call him that now. But Quinn is then becomes a recurring character. And he's amazing. Because when he makes a deal, he sticks to the deal. He never lies. He no, never goes back on his bargain. And he's a wild card. You don't know what to expect from him. He shows up later. I love Quinn. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Quinn. He's like a moral absolutist. Like what he believes is right. He follows that to the letter. He'll be very pedantic about the letter of the law. Like Mm -hmm. in the second collection, which I'm reading now, he shows up and helps ends up helping G.I. Joe because his contract ends at Cobra when a certain thing happens. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm going to point out like how dark in the end of this second issue, they had this adventure in the Arctic with, with Quinn and Cobra and Quinn helped these Cobra guys get away. But he basically tells the Cobra guys, G.I. Joe's going to get you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 we, we, we're, we're miles from them. He goes, yeah, they're trackers and you're not. And it's a slow pan over three panels, a wide shot of Scarlet Breaker, Stalker, and Snake Eyes, Snake Eyes wearing Quinn's necklace, to a medium mm-hmm. shot, to a close-up of Snake Eyes and his Uzi and the necklace. And it was just like a dark ending. They're going to track him down and kill these guys. And there's a lot of just indiscriminate machine gunning of people in these comics. Yes. Again, in a way that would never happen now for various reasons, maybe good or maybe bad. I don't know. Yeah, this is hard to say. Then uh, we have a third issue is is a robot. It's a the Trojan. I forget what it's called. The Trojan something. Trojan game. I like that issue a lot. It was really great. It was a locked box sort of adventure. We have to get there before the robot destroys everything. The Joes bring the robot pieces back to their base, their hidden base in Staten Island, New York, which later on an issue is said to be in New Jersey, but then goes back to Staten Island. They were just making it up as they went. But they don't realize this Cobra has rigged the robot to reassemble itself and cause havoc in the base and then help Cobra find the base because it's a hidden base. And so they've got to destroy the robot before it can get its signal out. And uh, that was just a terrific, as you said, lockbox issue. And it was like it came down to the very last second, you know, as the robot keeps getting blown up and it's smaller and smaller and smaller and these (laughs) little sort of like spider robots end up and, and they get, you know, crushed at the end and that's sort of the end of it. And it really goes right up the last page and the yes. threat is ended uh, really nice you know nobody knows the threat they're under yeah that was good i would love to know why the transition from hawk to duke when it's the same character with the same appearance i'm, I'm curious why they i'm not that there change. yet I, th- I it has to have to do with the cartoon or the toys yeah because there wasn't a hawk toy not till later hmm. there wasn't a hawk toy till he had the brown hair and he had the jacket with the you know the fur yeah. collar maybe, maybe there it was wasn't a like an original hawk toy Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe he was supposed to be Duke all along. And then, Maybe. I don't know. And then the cartoon came out. Like, we, he looks like that. We have to make him Duke. And then, the next I don't know. issue features Snake Eyes' lovely penmanship. <laughs> well, that Very was tight. The right wing survivalist group in the wilds of yes. America. Again, kids love that. And then, like, we learn that he's willing to kill all of his acolytes, you know, and, and yeah. some of them finally turn against him again. Hawks undercover because he's a Aryan. Yeah. <laughs> that was dark. It was. And then one of my favorites is the next one, is number five, Tanks for the Memories. Yeah. With the, uh, again, where's the dialogue? Here we go. 
Come on, Scarlet, you got to get the program. Pick up a sponge and help us scrub down the old Mobat multi ordnance battle tank. That's something that would later go into a editor's note. This is the one that has incredibly phallic shots of them sitting on the tank. Very much so. Breaker, who always is blowing a bubble. Steeler, Clutch, and Scarlet are on... Well, Scarlet's not in the tank parade, but they're on the military parade through the streets of New York. That's definitely a thing that happens. <laughs> then, of course, Cobra attacks, and they have to sort of fight Cobra off without the brass knowing it. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of this clandestine rolling tank battle through the streets of New York City, <laughs> which they have to keep secret. They can't use it as a tank? Because they've got no ordinance. They have to pretend they've got... It's, it was very clever, and I like this issue a lot. I remember the toy, like, kind of just looked like a regular tank. But this yeah, one, they're like, it. no, here's what's great about the tank. And, it, like, it goes underwater, and it's got all this other stuff. It's It looks like a normal tank, but it's better than that. You know, as, as this sort of crowd of stuffy generals, and or the, maybe they're the Joint Chiefs, well, I don't I know. really wanted to see the tanks. I was told specifically that we would be reviewing a display of spanking new armor. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to see tanks. I can't tell who the characters are just by looking at them. Because mm-hmm. in the first wave, they all looked. But one of them is really into looking at the Majorette's butt. Which is, I think again, that's Clutch. Clutch. Is it Clutch? Yeah, I figured. Or Steeler. Let's Steeler. say I'm fulfilling the obligation of a military commander to keep abreast of the rear guard situation. Okay, you got a pun about boobs. <laughs> and it, there's not like, there's. he's looking through the screen at the woman in front of him. It turns out to be a cobra. She's a shapely majorette. Let's not, let's not yeah. mince words here. But the screen that he's watching her on, her head is cut off. Like, he's looking at her ass. Yes. Kids, Kids comic. Very funny. Very good. The jocks that are <laughs> the jocks who are just going for a nice rowboat in Central Park. The three city high football players who just happen to be in a rowboat for some reason, who make fun of the turkeys in the marching band uniforms. Only nerds join the stupid marching band, and then they get tossed overboard because the tank comes out of the water and knocks their boat over. But why are they in the rowboat? Well, one of those kids was named Winklevoss, and he would go on to have twin sons who would be involved. <laughs> I just thought this was combined sort of the absurdity and the fun of it, but also being clever and yep. good character stuff. General um, Flag gets shot in the head by Cobra Commander, but only glancingly. I thought it was a good issue. I didn't love the October Guard two-parter. I liked it. I didn't love it as much as their other issues for some reason. I liked it in the midst of the Cold War. There was that they basically, the, the Russians and the Americans had to work together. And it was under the guise of, so basically there's a secret plane or something that they have to go get. And the Soviets are also after it. And then they find out that Cobra's after it too. So Cobra steals it and the Joes and the Russians have to work together. And with the understanding that the second that Cobra's defeated, they're going to go back to fighting. And in this story, they get to kind of like and respect each other while they are not at each other. Because they get to meet each other. And it's such a great, you know... You know, again, this is in the midst of the Cold War. I cannot, if you were not alive, you cannot fathom how much we hated Soviet people for the for the prior 40 years. And it is culminating at this point in history. And there's this little comic book that is just going, you know, they're not that different. They would probably get along fine. You also have a brief appearance from uh, basically the Mujahideen. Yes. Yes. On our side. Prior. Who are at the time were on our side. Was this prior? This must have been prior to when we armed them. With the service-to-air missiles. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly competent. They don't fuck around. The CIA guy's there helping the Joe set up. Mm-hmm. And he's... Stalker's just a two-bit infantryman. He can't help you. And the guy says, he's a fighting man. See, so I knew you wouldn't understand. Like, mm-hmm. they, they respected the Joes. The Joes respected them. And then, you know, you've got a map. They're going to Karachi. They're in Pakistan. They're going, they're going to all these places now that are just the hotbeds of anti-American terrorism sentiment. You know, they're in Kabul. They're in the Hindu Kush. They're going to escape to Pakistan to make their escape. It's a good snapshot of how different the world was back then. Yeah. And, you know, if you know anything about history, then you see where that stuff leads and sort of where we started and where we ended up. Well, they try to make us think that Hawk's a bad guy, but he's not. You know what I was saying? that I was When that came up, I felt like I didn't get that resolved. He fed them fake information as a fake mole to send them to the wrong. Because the whole thing was they were all fighting over a decoy that the yeah. rest of the Joes had already rescued the right plane. But... But he told them that like a dick. Yeah. Well, I hate to tell you that you were all decoys. It was for no reason. He did. He told them when they landed. Right. In the beginning, he says it to Stalker's face. I was like, that's fucking cold, dog. This is good stuff. As we get into eight, the Joes are protecting a space launch in Florida as Cobra as a full-on attack on the coast of Florida. Right. Uh, <laughs> and this is the all Herb Trimp. Larry Hama didn't write or have anything to do with this one. Uh, it's action-packed. I'll give it that. 
I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't it. hate it. I don't remember a lot about it. I like there was a bit where it was like military tactics in terms of them, you know, like they formed a perimeter and that's, and you just see yeah. like, again, it's called Sea Strike. Actually, some great art in this one. The first couple of pages, there's a Cobra boat and Cobra Commander is, you know, standing in the wind and rain and his like cloak is floating over him. I found yeah. that as we went through this, the art got better. Like as they sort of settled into who everybody was at first, it was like, oh, this is just a day job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as we kept going, the art gets stronger. Did Trimp draw this too? Yes. Script and art. I was surprised to see his name because I didn't remember it. And I didn't know who he was probably when I first read this. Because Mike Vosberg, I don't know if he's on before the end of this. Is he? Vosberg's on the next issue that Stephen Grant writes. So Vosberg's first issue is bad looking. And then I thought, oh, I remember this as being better than this. But he gets, as you get into oh, the yeah. next sort of bunch of issues, like, nine's really rough. There's parts where it's like, this is not professional. And what it is, is not that it's not professional. It's that he didn't give a shit. Like, it was work a day. Right. It was like, here, this, this is good enough. It's for a kid. He's doing thing. a toy comic. And Hama said something about that. He's doing the toy comic. That's nothing. That's bullshit. No one wants that. And then as they get going, because I remember, I was like, Vosberg, that's a name he's on it for a while. And very quickly, his stuff gets a lot better. Even in this issue, there are really nice sequences mm-hmm. or yes. nice panels. I'm looking at the panel where Scarlet skis down a hill onto a jump, jumps into the air and then crashes through the window to break up the arms deal. Like that panel where she's crashing the window is terrific. There's a bit where the, in this same issue where a plane, they have to take a plane down, it crashes yes. in the Himalayas. Yep. You know, you want to talk about storytelling, the page where that happens. It's so good. So, you know, yeah. when I said art's not great, there's clearly figure problems here and here that don't matter. Oh, by the way, this uh, issue, issue number nine, <laughs> Dutch whorehouse. Just yes. yes, this is the clearly, unnamed Dutch brothel in which some of the action takes place, yes. It's clearly, like, there's no, like, well, this looks like it could be. They're in Amsterdam. These are clearly working <laughs> ladies. There is a madam. They're all standing around smoking in skimpy undergarments. But at six years old, I wouldn't have known that. I know. But I did really want to go to Amsterdam. I didn't understand why. <laughs> There's some good trade craft. This is when they're in the south of France. They're, mm-hmm. They fight on land, sea, and air in this one. Yeah, they're all over the world. It feels almost like a James Bond movie. You know, they're, they go to France and they go to Amsterdam and... There's a room that's bugged. It's communicating by paper. Like it's, there's a lot more interesting things happening, even if the art isn't up to snuff. This is Stephen Grant's doing. It feels almost much more international than, than you had before, even though before they were in Afghanistan and stuff. But it just felt like a fun, sexy Bond story. And again, fun. Scarlet is the hero of this. And I don't even yeah. mean the hero. She's the leader in this. Like, and, and Snake Eyes is along to help. When she, you know, right. there, she's not leading things. And then finally, as we sort of get near the end, issue number 10 introduces the town of Springfield. 10 is where it starts. 10 is right. where G.I. Joe starts to become G.I. Joe. This is where the story starts to kick off. A nice little town like ours, Larry Hammond, Mike Vosberg, Chick Stone on Inks. Chick's a good name. You don't get a lot of chicks anymore. Oh, one thing I do want to mention, and I'm looking at the cover to 10, there were some terrific <gasps> classic yeah. covers on G.I. Joe. And I remember as a kid, Again, if I started in the 30s looking at the issue, the early issues and the back issue bin and having only the covers to go by and looking at look at cover 10, like, welcome to Springfield, yeah. nice little town, Scarlet Snake Eyes, you know, walk through this little suburban street, but the facade is fake. And like, it's like a movie set behind the movie set are a bunch of Cobra soldiers with AK-47s. Except it is like, a real town. As a kid, I wanted that issue so badly, mm. you know, because what was that about? You know, they had really great covers. The cover of Stalker shooting back-to-back with the Russian guy is another one. Every one of the covers was exactly what the story was. Yeah. It was dramatized. It was, you know, well-conceived. And they were good covers. But they were also directly narratively tied. And it wasn't even the kind where, like, it promises something that's sort of related to the story that wasn't. It was from the story. Or at least told you, like, the theme of the story. Yeah. Over and over. Really impressed me. There's some really like all time covers. Yeah. Issue 10 introduces the idea of Springfield, which is the town Cobra sort of takes over. First of all, it's important in the Cobra side of things in the early days, as Josh said earlier, they didn't have the the characters. It's only really Cobra Commander and occasionally Baroness shows up, but the rest is just Cobra soldiers. They don't really introduce anybody else until the the next volume. Then you get Destro, you get Major Blood. But in the beginning, it's really just Cobra Commander and sometimes Baroness. And so here she's back. And we find out that Cobra took over this town, you know, slowly. They started hiring people for Arbco, the, the company that turned out to be Cobra, you know, front for Cobra. And very slowly, this becomes a company town where everyone's working for Cobra. Although not everybody's happy about it, but it's like this 
creepy, almost Twilight Zone-esque scenario, right? Where they there's this small town in America that's been being taken over by terrorists, but it's too late to stop it. It was good. It was really good. It was, and it made me excited for sort of what comes next because, I mean, you look at more than 100 issues after this where he gets to sort of world build this. And I, and I, and I mean, I'm not going to tell you that you should come in here and be like, you should read this. Like people say you should read Watchmen. Right. But if you have any affinity for this stuff and you don't know about it, it's better than you, than you think it could be. And and it's also, it can just be entertaining also. I don't want to be like, Mm -hmm. oh man, it's much deeper than, you know, it doesn't have to be that. Yeah, exactly. If taken for what it is taken in the con and then, you know, the historical context of everything is extremely interesting. And so this issue, we get the first inklings of a Snake Eyes origin. He gets put into Dr. Venom's contraption. Dr. Venom, because we hadn't thought of Dr. Mindbender yet. <laughs> right. He's basically Dr. Mindbender. What is the name of this machine? I'm looking right at it. There's so many words here. Yeah, whatever it is. It basically turns his memories into TV you know, images. And they're trying to find the location of the pit at the Joe base. But instead, Snake Eyes fights him off with other memories, leaving Saigon on the last helicopter going to the prom, you know, working at the Texaco station. But again, them not knowing here, a helicopter crash in Vietnam is responsible for his disfigurement. That's kind of what happens in his official origin, but not really. Mm -hmm. His family being killed in a car accident, that's part of his origin. So like you start to get that, which you've never seen before. Snake Eyes, very strong chin in these issues. (laughs) So you see his face in silhouette. You never see his face until much, much later in the series. And that's also something that was very popular back then in the 80s was the characters whose faces you never saw. You never saw Cobra Commander's face. You never saw Snake Eyes' face. You never saw Destro's face. You never saw Dr. Doom's face back then. As far as I'm concerned, we never saw Cobra Commander's face. I mean, the most you ever saw was where he was wearing the brown glasses, the fake mustache, the beret, and the wig. <laughs> that was the unmasked issue on the cover where they're all taking right. their masks off. But you never actually see their faces, that, but you almost do. The only thing of his face that I'm willing to admit is real is when he wears the hood and you see his skin around his eyes. Right. That's his face. That was so exciting as a kid, you know, just getting a glimpse, a little glimpse of their face. And it wasn't like Destro was going to take off his mask and I was going to go, oh, shit, it's Bob from accounting. Like, there wasn't a mystery to it. It was just, the mystery was you never saw it. And so all you could do was imagine it. And it made the characters much more interesting. Same way that you never know Wolverine's origin. And then once you did, you're like, eh, okay. It was much <laughs> more fun when you didn't know it. You were forced to imagine it and fill in the blanks yourself. Springfield becomes very important. Snake Eyes and his, his origin become very important. This is where we start to sort of get into that ongoing soap opera narrative of the world that Larry Hama's building. And it sort of comes to a head in issue 10. And it's a great issue, including the very end with an Incredible Hulk cameo and <laughs> Snake Eyes and his rifle having to take a bus to Staten Island from New Jersey. He's just one of those Times Square Hulks, though. <laughs> right. He's a play actor Hulk. Well, not even Times Square. He's in Bayonne. I know. Just New Jersey. <laughs> to take that bus well i mean let's talk about the fact that the joe's fort wadsworth is located on staten island and they're in the hidden underground bunker that goes six floors down i think yeah more than that probably they're in the motor pool there that's who they like and nobody at the fort who isn't part of gi joe knows who they are or what they do everything they right. do is completely clandestine it's awesome it's great. except for the one issue where they said the fort wadsworth was in new jersey and then later on i think it's in utah like it's, it's permanent oh really in the current books their base is in utah oh I thought it was in Staten Island in the beginning. No, no, no. I'm saying in the current, in issue 303, we read last week, their bases in oh, Utah. Uh, and then that. there's one issue in volume one where they say Fort Wadsworth is in New Jersey. It's a mistake, just like everything else in the early days was, you know, <laughs> someone didn't check. But it's, I, it's every other time in Staten Island. It's not really convenient to get to places quickly. There's not like a, well, I guess they have their own airfield, but. Better than Utah. Well, at least you can drive it out of Utah. That's true. That's true. I feel like the cartoon takes place there in Utah because the thing's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So volume one is the foundation, right? You can't have the rest of the series without what they do in volume one. Volume one is not a good representation of what happens later on, but it is a fun look at it, right? It's like seeing a band's super early work where they haven't quite figured it out, the music or the instruments, but they're getting there and you can hear it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I found really, really gratifying about reading it. And I read it pretty quick, even though it was yeah. one of the most two issues at a time. Every night, I, I've been neglecting my novel that I've been reading. because I, I've, Same. At night, I'm like, oh, I can read another issue of G.I. Joe. And that's what I've been doing. <laughs> so I pulled volume two right off the shelf. I don't know how far I'll go, but I had a hell of a good time on volume two. Gung-ho. Did he speak this Cajun-like on the cartoon? He did not. Do you remember in the mid-80s that there was commercials for Ruffles? Yeah. And there was a guy who was like, you won't show me good like that. And like, yeah. and for a little while, 
Cajun speak was real popular. And I was like, yes. oh, they're playing off that. But right. no, I did not remember. But all of his dialogue sounds like that. And I, I hope they stick with it through the remainder of the series. <laughs> I'm only up to issue 13. I, I was hoping to get further, but. He's great. Life got in the way. I think I on 16. It becomes this entire tapestry of characters. And again, this is written in the old 80s style of continuing soap opera where you felt like this whole world was happening. It really did feel like an alternate world as opposed to now where everything feels so sort of static. Hmm. You really felt like you were living in the Marvel universe or G.I. Joe universe or DC. Like hmm. the way the books are written felt like that. And I think there's a little bit of that in the modern book. You know, it does feel like that. I mean, it's the same guy writing. It should feel a little bit like that, but it's obviously not written for kids anymore. They're not written to sell toys anymore. But if you think about it, 300 plus issues of G.I. Joe, that's up there with Cerebus and... All those, oh, you know, how many people have written 300 issues of a comic? If it hadn't, I mean, it, I was going to say if it hadn't been part of a toy line, but then it, it wouldn't be what it is. You know what I right. mean? It's It sort of works for it and against it in that same way. I don't think way. it diminishes it because it's almost like it makes it more impressive that he was able to do this even with Hasbro looking over his shoulder. Yeah. You it was know? different times. Hasbro wasn't <laughs> like a, you know, it, it was a privately owned thing. It wasn't a conglomerate. They were just like, yeah, try that. I think it's more impressive that he's able to pull off this sort of wonderful, you said it earlier, the, the degree of difficulty, the threading of the needle between the mm-hmm. the tone of a kid's comic meant to sell toys and a adult comic world working out his Vietnam feelings and the whole way that comes together in a, in a comic that really makes a lot of sense and is entertaining and it shouldn't work because they're very disparate elements. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's amazing. And it is not a thing that, you know, you go back to a lot of things that you liked when you were a kid and you, it's not good. You know, like I'm not watching, I'm going to make somebody mad, but like, I'm guessing that I'm not going to watch a random episode of Thundercats and be like, man, this is better than I remembered. Right. You know, but this does that thing uh, as far as I am concerned. I mean, I'm almost positive. I would not enjoy looking back at He-Man. Almost positive. Yeah. But over the pandemic, when there were no comics coming out, we were doing the show, we were reviewing G.I. Joe shows. Those were super fun to watch. And this, this book yes. was incredibly fun to read. For whatever that magic holds, and I, and I understand this won't be for everybody. And if you weren't necessarily alive at the time, and you didn't have to be reading it, but if you weren't alive at that time and going through the end of the Cold War and everyone coming home with Vietnam trauma, it may not be as impactful, but it's still very good and very fun. And at the end of the day, they're not that different than superheroes. They all wear outfits. They all have code names. They all have special abilities. But they also have that military jargon and sense of humor, you know, that is really entertaining in a lot of right. in a lot of stuff. And, and not everybody can do that. But it's here. There's a there's an attitude. There's a frame of mind for military folks. And I do not know how to describe it. I know I do not have it, but it's present here and it it can be, it's very entertaining and it sets you up for what kind of story you're in, even though it is dumbed down is not the word, but aged down. Right. It was fun. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah. There's a crazy part of me. I was like, we should do all 10 volumes, but we're not going to do that. No, we're not. We tried that with star man. Didn't make it. (laughs) Didn't finish the series. (laughs) Let's go back. We'll do, we'll do volume three. Again, these are not necessarily easy to find right now. I'm hoping that it would be great if Image put them all back into print. I don't know if they will or not, but if they do, I would recommend checking them out, especially if you like you know, comics history. Again, the first 10 issues are not really representative of the rest of the series. However, there are important things in there for the foundation of it. And man, I'm looking forward to reading more. I really am. I want to see how far I can get. I really do. <laughs> I want to get to at least through the Snake Eyes origin stuff. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've read those issues. Even though I can see so many of the panels and pages in my head very clear. I haven't read, actually sat down and read them in so long. That cover, this files and the photographs all laid out like that is seared into my brain. And the Isn't other one cool? where they're fighting on the elevated subway, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. I still remember as a kid when they revealed that they had the same tattoo. All of us at school were like completely mind blown of what that could mean in the silent issue. Have you ever thought about getting that tattoo in your life? Well, of course I did. That's what I'm saying. Like, yes. That's of course I did. Yeah. The other thing people who were, were not alive at the time don't understand is how much we all love ninjas. Everything was about ninjas. Yeah. I was about to say before, like you really can't understand what the cold war felt like if you were in it, because it might sound like it's exaggerating, but like thermonuclear destruction was something that was in the back of our minds pretty much all the time. Right. And ninjas. So we're ninjas, right? <laughs> like it's they held about the same sort of space. <laughs> There was tons of movies about ninjas. We all had ninja toys. You could buy ninja costumes. Like, it was all about ninjas in the 80s. And so but at this point, the book hasn't turned into a full-on ninja book, which eventually does happen. Larry Hamo's into martial arts. 
We were too. We didn't know anything about it, but. This is a nerd putting his nerd shit in there and his war trauma. And it worked. Yeah. And he said gainful employment ever since. So I hope this made sense. This is a lot all over the place, but that's kind of what G.I. Joe is. And a book like this, that's so important to us. It's uh, we, we just so many things we want to talk about, make sure we get to. This may not have been as coherent as we wanted it to be, but I enjoyed it. If you didn't care, you're not listening at this point anyway. But if you did, it probably did make sense. So it's fine. So the latest, as Josh mentioned, there's comics coming out now. We just talked about two of them last week. There's the G.I. Joe All-American Hero book, which is a continuation of this continuity in this story. It's a, issue 303 of the most recent one. There's the new Energon universe that Robert Kirkman overseeing when Skybound got the license. So there's Void Rivals and there's Duke and there's Cobra Commander. And there's Transformers. Those books are all in the same shared universe, but there's Duke and there's Cobra Commander. So right now there's three full-on G.I. Joe books being published, which is not unusual. In the early 2000s, we had G.I. Joe Origins, we had G.I. Joe Cobra, we had G.I. Joe Real American Hero. So it's not like this is a new thing, but right now we're back in it. We're all about it. We're in danger of turning this show entirely over to G.I. Joe, much to the horror of some of the listeners. It'll pass. It'll pass. We're in a phase. It happened. I'm not sure how, but it did. You got to let it burn out. Those of you who don't like listening to us talk about G.I. Joe, you just got to let it happen. Let it burn out, and it'll burn out, and then we'll move on to something else. Here's the thing. You got to think of it like, for Connor and I, it's like a joy combustion chamber. (laughs) Like It refills the tanks of joy, and then then that that spreads outwardly. Has to happen. So if you want to hear us talk about the new books, you can listen to the Pick of the Week show, where Josh and I and sometimes special guests talk about the week's new comics. That's over at ifanboy.com, as well as... Josh's Talksplode interview show where he interviews creators. It's our sister show to this one. We alternate months. So next month will be a Talksplode. The month after that will be another Booksplode. We also have our monthly media Splode show. All those Splode shows were unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. And you can also email us in at contact at ifanboy.com if you want to get your emails in on the show or just want to send us some feedback. You can always do it there. And follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram. That's where you can find pretty much our only online presence is there at the moment. So we don't know what the next Booksplode is going to be. We'll figure that out. We don't know what the next talk is going to be. We'll figure that out. But as soon as we know, we'll let you know. And knowing is half the battle. Good job. Good job. <laughs> it's like there's something there. Hang on. <laughs> I'm Josh. I'm Connor. Bye-bye. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Hey, watch this. You're going to pull that alarm? Why not? It'll be fun. That kind of fun can cost a life. Barbecue! False alarms are no joke. They keep firefighters away from the real action. And in this business, a few seconds can mean the difference between life and death. Remember, a firefighter's job is to fight fires. Not answer false alarms. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe!